0: Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Well, once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church on this absolutely gorgeous November Sunday. And yes, you heard me correctly. It's November, November the 6th. Which means we only have 49 more shopping days to Christmas. And when I said that, when I simply mentioned the word Christmas, the most wonderful time of the year, how many of you, especially the ladies, immediately groaned on the inside and felt that little flutter or sick feeling in a pit of your stomach? I know you did. Because Christmas, as wonderful as it is, it represents a lot of work. There's baking and cooking and cleaning. There's the decorating, maintaining the traditions. And of course, there's the shopping, trying to find that perfect gift for everyone on your gift list, all the while trying to stay in budget so that you don't start the new year deep in debt. And then beyond the busyness of Christmas, There's some people that just simply dread the holidays. And for this group of people, Christmas is no fun at all. It stirs up painful memories, and it oftentimes intensifies sadness and disappointment. In fact, according to hot-off-the-press statistics, 51% of all people surveyed, how many? 51% of the people who love Christmas don't like christmas and everywhere in between they said they feel increased anxiety and stress during the holidays better than half of the people one out of every two and in case you haven't noticed it's not just christmas we have become a people and a culture living on edge most of the time And it doesn't take much to push us into the mental health danger zone. Again, according to the experts, more and more people are struggling with everyday issues, including our students and our teens, and even the children are struggling. Worry, fear, sleeplessness, Decreased motivation, not being able to focus or concentrate, needing reassurance over and over again, and not having much hope for the future. These are just some of the overwhelming emotional battles that people face each and every day. More and more people that I talk to, they just are struggling with normal everyday life and during his public ministry which lasted for three and a half years Jesus addressed this subject often and he gave us instruction he taught us how to have faith in fact he promised it to us how to have faith how to have peace how to have trust in God in fact he said the peace that I give to you unlike the peace that you'll find in the world It will help you. It surpasses understanding. You won't find this divine peace anywhere other than the peace that I give you. And Jesus said, the peace that I leave you, the peace that I give you, will help you so that you don't have to worry, you don't have to fear, and you don't have to be consumed with the cares and the concerns of this life. And so if you find yourself dealing with mental health issues maybe even taking medication uh, from time to time just to help you cope uh, with life, does that mean that you're being disobedient to the Word of God? With all of the instruction that Jesus gave to us, all of the commands, even those that we find in the Sermon on the Mount, as he talked about these things that we're going to face, having emotional pain and problems, is, is that a sin? I want you to listen to me very carefully because there's a lot of controversy regarding this same issue. The answer to the question that I just asked is no. A resounding no. Anxiety, depression, despair in and of itself is not sin. And I know some of you who struggle in this regard, you have to put up with the devil lying to you and telling you that anxiety is a sign of weakness. And if you would just get your act together, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, then maybe you wouldn't be in such bad shape. Maybe you could be a positive benefit to yourself, to your family, and to the kingdom of God. And chances are you've heard that from some other people as well. Maybe pastors and Christian leaders have echoed that same mindset. And I tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. This is not, from my perspective, what the Word of God teaches. And any impression that emotional pain is a sin or an act of disobedience, it undermines the heart of the gospel message. And how can I say that with such confidence? How can I be so adamant about that? Because when I read the scripture, I find that Christianity was birthed and it was established with physical suffering and emotional pain, including anxiety and despair. That was a part of the package. And if you can believe this, it happened to Jesus. Jesus experienced these kinds of emotions that I'm describing this morning. Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and let's not forget the sinless one. The scripture tells us that he never sinned. Just a few hours before Jesus went to the cross, recorded in Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 38, here's what the Bible tells us. Then Jesus went with them, his disciples, to the olive grove, or to the garden, called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, sit here while I go over there to pray. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he became anguished and distressed. How was he feeling? Anguished and distressed. He told them, Jesus said to his disciples, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. I mean, think about that for just a moment. He said, "I'm experiencing so much grief right now. I want to die." And so I'm going to ask you, Jesus said, "Stay here for just a few minutes and watch with me. Keep watching with me. Pray with me." Now, I know it's hard to imagine because we read over these verses of scripture very quickly, but this was Jesus talking here. Not Peter, not John, not one of the other disciples. Jesus was explaining to us how he was feeling. And he said, I feel crushed on the inside. I have so much grief, so much anxiety. I almost feel like it's to the point of death. Another translation says, I am overwhelmed with sorrow and emotional pain. And whether you can relate to the words of Jesus or not, this is precisely how many, many people live their lives each and every day. This is what they're experiencing. This is what they're going through they dwell and reside and they stay in a state of anxiety and it's just always there emotional distress hour after hour and day after day and in a parallel passage luke chapter 22 verses 40 through 44 tells us jesus walked away About a stone's throw, he knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering from me. That I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. And he prayed more fervently. And he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Now, I don't pretend to be an expert in... The field of medicine, but when I read this, it just appears to me to be a very high form of anxiety. Being under so much emotional stress, experiencing such agony and such mental strain, that the frontal arteries of Jesus popped. And blood seeped out of his sweat glands. And not just a little discoloration that mixed in with the sweat. No, the scripture tells us great droplets of blood fell to the ground. And here in Luke, remember he was the doctor. I'm not the doctor, but he's the doctor. What he describes is brutal. It it just adds new meaning to the whole Idea of panic attack and this is Jesus experiencing this in the garden this is what he's going through he's under this enormous strain but check out what it says in Hebrews Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 we serve a high priest who's that Jesus we serve a high priest Jesus who has been tempted knowing exactly how it feels to be human in every respect as we are, yet what? Without committing any sin. That means the garden experience where Jesus revealed to us his humanity, including all of this emotional pain, it does not in any way indicate sin, disobedience, or missing the mark. None of the above. So let me say it again. Anxiety and apprehension and stress And all of the mental health issues that we deal with today, they're not sin. And it was the Apostle Paul who, in dealing with some of these issues that we have to face each and every day, he reminded us that we cannot be ignorant of Satan's devices. Do you remember him saying that? He says we have to be well aware of the schemes of the enemy because it's the devil the enemy of our soul who always attempts to capitalize on our humanity. That's his method of operation. That's his purposeful intention and strategy. The devil knows that if he can consume us or flood us with guilt and condemnation on top of the fear and the worry that we have, we're never going to get the victory. We're never going to walk in the peace and the joy that God intended and also provided for us. And so we have to get proactive here. And we have to acknowledge the deeds of darkness, that there is a spiritual attack upon the minds, the bodies, and the spirit of God's people. The enemy's working harder today than ever before. But the scripture tells us with God, all things are possible. How many? All things. And friends, I want to communicate to you today that God is with us, and He's for us, and He loves us. How many believe that? It is the absolute truth. He's not just for everyone else. God is for you. Can I get you to say that? Personalize it. God is for me. God is with me. Say it. God loves me. Friend, it's the absolute truth. And so if you're struggling with some form of anxiety, whether occasionally or more regularly, you are not alone. I want you to hear that. If you find yourself, maybe even just recently, having a difficult time, with your mental health, I, I want to say it again, you're not alone. And sometimes just knowing other people are struggling with the same things that we're facing, it brings just a little bit of comfort. Today, without a doubt, the trauma of the COVID-19 pandemic has pushed mental health into the limelight. We can no longer avoid it dismiss it, act like it doesn't exist. It's real. Mental health issues are real and we have to address them. We we have to be willing to talk about them. And this morning I do not want to hash out past issues. I don't want to criticize or complain or second guess the choices and the decisions that were made in 2020. Instead of looking back, I want to look forward. And in so doing, I want to suggest ways that we can heal and recover from post-pandemic trauma. And in the process, become stronger emotionally and spiritually. This is my desire as we talk about these things this morning, I want us to be stronger. How many of you want that too? How many of you want to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power? I sure do, and we need that today. We absolutely have to have the strength that God provides and the grace that he gives to us. And we can't do that by rehashing the past, going back to what happened a year ago or two years ago. We have to move forward and keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And check it out. We're in it together. We're in it together. We're in it together. You're not alone. That's what this month and this series is all about. That's why we're taking a whole month to talk about this. So that we can acknowledge and understand that we have each other. And that we need each other. And you're gonna hear these same themes all month long, and there might even be some carry-over. That's not by accident. We're doing it on purpose. We want you to hear that we are in it together. That has been our main message and mantra for 30 years. We are in it together all the way. And during the pandemic, many of us had to do life alone. I'm going to tell you that we're not called to do life alone. Nobody is. Doing life alone, living life alone is opposite of being in it together. In it together means we share together. We talk together, we work through issues together. We don't have to try and resolve everything all by ourselves. But during the pandemic, for obvious reasons, we did some things alone and we worked alone and we went to school alone. Some of our loving family members died alone. Friends, that was tragic. Almost too difficult to even talk about. And for a while there, we couldn't even hug each other. Do you know how difficult it is for Christian Italians not to hug? I mean, it's just in our blood. We couldn't even shake hands. We couldn't be in the same location. Couldn't even see each other's face, full face. And friends, it messed us up. Again, if you ask me, this is just my humble opinion, but one of the very first actions that we need to take is to relearn what it means to connect with one another to reestablish our human relationships because that's how God called us to live. And we got away from it. And it was brutal. Now, just a couple of weeks ago, I was at the gas station pumping gas. And I don't know if you've seen this. I guess it depends on which gas station you go to, but they have these little TV monitors now attached to the gas pumps. Have you seen that? And those uh, little monitors, they just spit out, you know, nonstop ads and communication and, and you know, advertisement and commercials. Well, on this particular occasion, that little monitor, I was pumping gas, it gave me the word of the day. And the word of the day was text It's an actual word, text relationship. And even if you've never heard that word before and you don't know what it means, it's not difficult to figure it out. A text relationship is a connection or association between two people that text message each other frequently but rarely, if ever, interact with one another person to person. And please don't get me wrong, if there's anyone who loves text messaging, it's me. I'd rather text message than talk on the phone. And I do it constantly, every day, countless times during the day. In fact, I texted so much a couple of months ago that my thumbs locked up, and I had to get therapy. I can't text with my thumbs anymore. I have to use the finger, the old style. Nothing wrong with texting, but it doesn't replace face-to-face relationships. And unfortunately, post-pandemic, text relationship has become a way of life, especially for the Gen Z population, those from the ages of 12 to 25. In fact, 76% of all Gen Zers, they say that they prefer text messaging over every other form of communication. And the Zers, they conduct life through their phones. That's the way of life for them. They, they do most everything through text messaging. And again, you got to love the technology, but it can't take the place of our relationship with one another. Just a couple of months ago, uh, back in September, uh, we held a Community Christian Church men's event. We brought back a fan favorite, the Chili Cook-Off. And in the event you didn't hear, one of my staff members, Sean Terry, he brought home the best-tasting chili trophy. I mean, he made some really good chili, probably a family recipe, I'm sure. Anyway, when we planned that event, gathered the men together, it was the first time since before the pandemic, so maybe three or four years ago, over 100 men, maybe 120 men, came together for that event. It's wonderful. And of course I tried to do the pastor thing and I went from table to table and met as many of the guys that I could and interacted with the guys. And across the board, everyone that I talked to told me not only were they enjoying themselves, but they had missed that fellowship. These are guys. Guys who are usually not that proficient at establishing relationship or letting you know their inner feelings. And yet they're saying that the connection was important because human connection is a lifeline. It doesn't happen all by itself. You have to be proactive. you got to make it happen. Even the ladies who are expert in this department, they need a little guidance and encouragement. And quite honestly, I don't know of a better relationship model than the Community Christian Church Women's Ministry Pastor Therese has been connecting ladies for over 30 years and she's good at it. And connections are vital, absolutely vital to our overall happiness and life fulfillment. Again, no one has been called by God. No one is expected to do life all by themselves. And if you just hate people, (laughs) I mean, if you just can't get along with anyone else, maybe you're deeply an introvert, and social gatherings make you nervous that I'm going to challenge you, just try one new connection. That's it, just one. Challenge yourself and try to establish one new friendship. You'll be amazed at what that will do for you. Again, we need each other. It's the way that God designed it. It's the way that God made us. And in addition to uh, the idea that we need each other, during the creation process, I believe that God furnished us with a little mechanism on the inside, and that mechanism, it. It desires for us to be needed as well so uh, not only do we need each other but we have to feel needed I'm gonna say that again not only do we need each other but we have to feel needed those are the two bookends of life we have to be able to do those well in order to feel satisfied and fulfilled everyone needs to feel like they're contributing or they're involved somewhere and again, according to the people who study and, and, and do these things, the experts, if you don't feel valuable, if you feel useless, uh, if, you, if you feel like you're not contributing, that's what causes a lot of our depression and a lot of our sadness. We not only need each other, but we also have to feel like people need us. And as foreign as it may seem to you, And I know for some of you, this is just something you don't want to think about or do. But I have learned that finding yourself from time to time in a needy situation where you absolutely have to have help coming from someone else, that is a wonderful gift from God. Did you hear me? You know, I'm the kind of guy that wants to be self-sufficient. I want to be able to handle life by myself. Do things. Figure out problems. But when God purposely puts you in a situation, he's done that for me on many different occasions, where you need help and you need somebody else, that is a gift from God. Absolutely necessary. Because what happens is it forces us to accept and embrace the people around us. And those are the kinds of things that will add to our feelings of worth and will bring that fulfillment and that satisfaction is when we learn that we need people around us. All right, just before we receive communion, make our way to the communion table, I'd like to tell you one last story. It's found in the Old Testament book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 17. And just to give you a little background, after 400 years Of bondage, 400 years of being slave to the Egyptians, the people of God began to cry out. And God heard their prayer. God heard their cries for help, and He raised up for them a man by the name of Moses. Moses was God's answer to the people's cry for help. And God sent Moses to Egypt to deliver the Israelites from the clutches of the Pharaoh. And after the people of God were finally set free, after uh, Pharaoh and his army were destroyed in the Red Sea, the scripture tells us as the children of Israel were wandering through the wilderness on their way to the promised land, they encountered several difficulties. You'll remember these. First of all, they didn't have any food to eat. What did God do? He rained down bread from heaven. Remember that? Manna came down from heaven every day. God fed them miraculously. And then uh, next, they didn't have any fresh water to drink. What did God do? He gushed water out of a rock. God actually fed his people with water from a rock. And when it appeared as though the children of Israel could finally breathe a sigh of relief, that's when they were attacked by ruthless uh, desert renegades who threatened their survival. Uh, they, they put them in jeopardy one more time. So let's pick up the story here in Exodus chapter 17, beginning with verse 8. The Amalekites came and they attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of your men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill... The scripture tells us as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning the battle. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites are winning. All right, let's pause here for just a minute. Scripture tells us that Joshua and his men were down in the trenches fighting the Amalekites, Israel's enemy. They're doing their best to defeat the enemy. Is that what the scripture said? Yeah, that's what it said. So they were down in the valley. They were in the trenches. They were fighting Joshua and his men. And Moses and Aaron and her, they're up on the, on the hill. And from the look of things, it just appears as though Moses is controlling the battle, right? What Moses is doing is determining the outcome. Scripture says as long as he hands his, has his hands up, what? Israel was winning. But when he lowered his hands, then... The Amalekites, they got the advantage. Is that what we just read? Yeah, that's what we read. So with that scenario, here's my question. Why in the world would Moses ever lower his hands? Ah, he got tired. I mean, as long as he kept his hands up, they were winning. And he lowered his arms because they got tired. And so the three of those guys up there, really sharp guys Moses, Aaron and her, they devised a plan. Look at it next to this, chapter seven and verse 12. When Moses' hand grew tired, they took a stone. Moses sat on the stone, and Aaron and her held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other. Brilliant. So this hands, Moses' hands remained steady until sunset. And with his hands raised up, Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Check this out. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. In other words, don't ever forget this. I want you to remember this. And Moses make sure that Joshua hears. I want Joshua to hear it. I want Joshua to read it. I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. I'm going to destroy your enemy. And he, and he says why in verse 16. Because Joshua was a courageous commander who knew how to fight battles? No, because hands were lifted up to the throne of God. Why did God tell Moses to make sure that Joshua heard what he had to say? Because he wanted Joshua to know that hands were raised up on his behalf, hands of prayer, hands of praise, hands of support, hands of assistance. You see, it didn't matter how hard Joshua fought that battle. It didn't matter how hard he tried to beat the Amalekites and to win that war. God wanted him to know he was not going to be successful all by himself. God put him in a situation where the only way that he was going to win that battle is with help. And Moses, as long as he kept his hands up, as long as he supported that battle, Joshua was victorious. God wanted Joshua to know he needed help. And so do you. So do I. You see, we're in it together. We can't fight our battles all by ourselves. We can't keep them to ourselves. We can't express to the people around us that everything's going great, but inside we're fighting this inner war. We have to be willing to look to God, trust God, but trust one another as well. Okay, let's just bow our heads and prepare for communion. Father, we thank you for each other. So often, Lord, we look to you, and rightly so. And we're grateful for all that you do in our lives. We appreciate you so much, God. You entered into a covenant relationship with us, and you are for us and not against us. Lord, you make a way where there is no way. With you, all things are possible. And we thank you for the gift of faith and the trust that you've given to us. But Lord, you've also given to us each other. We have one another. And I pray, Lord God, uh, that this month we would realize and recognize just how important it is to be in relationship with one another. We can't do life by ourselves. We got a taste of that a couple years ago, Lord. When we were forced to do things alone. But now I pray, Father, that we would reestablish in our hearts just how important it is to connect with each other. I pray that you would help us, Lord, and you would move among us in these closing moments as we make our way to the communion table. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you haven't done so already, I'm just going to invite you to. Take one of the communion emblem packages from the seat holder in front of you and let's prepare for communion. The scripture says it was on the night Jesus was betrayed that he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then when supper was over, Jesus took the cup. Again, he gave thanks. He passed the cup to his disciples. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death till he comes. In that last story that I shared with you, We learned that Joshua needed help. Joshua was a man of faith. He was a warrior. Read about his life. He was one of the guys who spied out the land and came back with a good report when everybody else, except for him and Caleb, brought back an evil report. He was a fighter. He was the kind of guy that would get the job done. And yet we learned in this story that he needed help. Moses had to help him. But he wasn't the only one. Moses needed help as well. The leader, the one called by God to deliver his people, he needed help. He had to have two other guys support him. You see, in this story, we have a hidden picture of what happens to us when we try to do things alone. When we take on our assignments all by ourselves and say, we we get this done without any help. We can do this ourselves. You might enjoy some immediate success up front, but sooner or later, you're gonna get tired. You're gonna get weary. And so the Lord continually puts us in situations where we have to ask for help, where we need somebody to help us because he did not design us to do life by ourselves. So just before we receive communion today, I'd like to pray for you. But wherever possible here, where you're at, in fact, let's all stand. Let's just stand. What I'm going to ask you to do is gently and appropriately lay your hand on the arm or the shoulder of the person next to you. So you have one hand holding the cup, the other hand is reaching out. And this is a symbol of our connection with one another and a symbol of our strength. And we all need it, friends. And this in no way minimizes the power of what we're doing here during the communion time. Yes, Jesus went to the cross and died for us. Yes, he paid a huge price for our redemption. It was a tall price. And yes, he alone is our Savior and Lord, but he also gave us each other. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for the body ministry. We thank you, Lord, for... Feeling connected with each other. I pray, Lord God, there would be no one in this place that would feel alone. With all of our mental stress issues, Lord, all of the anxieties, the trouble, the depression and sadness that's in the world today, I pray we would get a little boost, Lord, of encouragement right now to know that we have someone who's in our corner, someone who's supporting us, not just you, but a real-life human being. I pray for those, Lord, who are struggling emotionally. I pray for those who are depressed, who sometimes can't make it through the day. Nobody knows, Lord. They put on a happy face. They put on a good front. Lord, I'm asking you by the power of your Spirit to flow among this body ministry today and bring healing to emotions and to souls, Lord God. To anguish. You know how it feels. Isaiah said you carried all of our sorrows and all of our griefs. You did that because you love us with an everlasting love. And you gave us each other. You gave us the Holy Spirit. We learned that on Wednesday. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit. But you gave us each other. And we're so mindful of that, Lord. We lift the person who we're touching right now, we lift them to you, and we ask, Lord, for supernatural strength, that they would be strong in the Lord and in your mighty power, spirit, soul, and body. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's take the bread and the cup this morning.